Coming up, it's an interview with Colonel Hacker extraordinaire Greg Crow Hartman. We also have news from support. All coming at you right now on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell users community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. Why are you doing it, Aaron? Well, um, Ted, is there something you'd like to say? So this is my last open audio. And we, so we've got to get the other names out here, though, because so Caitlin's here. Yes, I'm here. And Randy. Randy's I'm over here. here in the corner. Randy from News from Support is here. Cool. So, Aaron, it's your show. Okay, um, Mr. Hager, could you please explain to us what you're going to be doing in the future? Yeah, I'm actually going to a company called Bungie Labs. It's a startup here in the uh, Utah Valley area. Oh, so you got the startup fever. Yeah, I got the startup fever. Yeah, you know, after nine and a half years of being at Novell, I ended up just sort of feeling like, wow, I, what, what else can I do? And a uh, company came around and talked to me a little bit about some things they wanted me to do. So I'm going to actually be doing very similar work to what I'm doing here at Novell as far as community-type work, trying to build up a community around now a startup whose core central thing is to have a developer community. So I'm going to be working in a slightly different space with developers. The company actually does a application development and deployment platform all in the browser using Ajax technology so that people don't have to go figure out Ajax. They can learn how to develop in the Bungie platform, do the full development in the browser, extremely lightweight, thin client type thing, deploy applications on the web, do mashups between things like Google and Flickr and Amazon and Salesforce.com and various other places that offer web services. So this allows you to do that. So it's uh, it's not really even totally related to what I've been doing here at Novell, except in the fact that I've been asked to do community building for them to develop a developer community well i'm gonna miss you uh, thanks this has actually been the best job i've ever had and so it's kind of a real like i guess scary thing thinking about doing something else because you know how much better of a job can you have where you get to go to open source events get to talk to people get to show all the cool stuff that novell's doing all that kind of stuff so i mean Really, it's kind of a scary thing leaving here, but this has been one of the best jobs I've ever had. And, I mean, I've gotten to work with classic Novell community of people who've known NetWare and GroupWise and ZenWorks and things like that for years. All the Novell users are national people, fantastic people. I've also gotten to work with a lot of the open source community where you got, you know, the OpenSUSE people open and stuff like that. just rock. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they do. And passionate people on that stuff. But also, you know, open source community in general. Like, uh, I mean, there's, there's no people in the open source community I love more than the lug radio fans oh. out there because you know going to lug radio live and stuff a lot of friends with that stuff so awesome people in that hope to be able to keep that connection going so you know i've had a chance to work with really great communities here through this role and it makes it a little more scary to go but I've, i feel like i need to spread my wings and try something else too so what do we got for the show today first up today we've got an interview with greg croa hartman who's one of the kernel hackers and you did that interview, didn't you, Ted? Yeah, Caitlin and I did this, actually. And 
Greg's like the dude. He's one of the people that works directly with Linus Torvalds. He's been working with Sousa Labs for quite a while. And he's going to give us a quick look at uh, what the kernel hacker uh, hierarchy is between different developers, how they work together, and how code gets into the kernel, how submissions get there. He's also going to tell us a little bit about driver development and how people can get involved in driver development. So if you're a developer and you know your C code pretty well, because that's what drivers are written in, then uh, we're going to hear a little bit about how that works. And he's also got a reference driver that he does for little U.S. thermometers. So that's what Caitlin and I talked to him about. Oh, cool. Well, let's take a listen. Hi, Greg. This is Caitlin from Novell Open Audio, and we've got Ted here as well. How are you going? Good. Very so, good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a Linux kernel developer. I'm also one of the subsystem maintainers of various portions of the driver for the kernel, and I'm one of the Novell SUSE kernel developers and managers. When you say you're um, one of the subsystem leads there, what, what does that mean, a subsystem? So the Linux kernel is divided up into lots of different parts. It's pretty modular, so there's different portions, like different file systems, different drivers, and then up to different driver types, like PCI or USB or things like that. And um, so I'm the subsystem, those are subsystems. I'm the maintainer of the, actually the PCI and USB and also the driver core and a few other tiny bits and pieces of the kernel in places. Where's that put you in uh, relationship to like Linus Torvalds and other people who are, you know, primary people known for their leadership on the kernel? So the Linux kernel development is, can be seen as like a big triangle. So there's a whole bunch of individual developers down the bottom creating patches and making changes. Right now we have about 2,000 unique contributors the past year send in patches. So those people send in patches, and they send them up to the maintainer of the individual driver or the file that they change those, that makes those changes. And then those people collect them and send them on up to the subsystem people. And the subsystem maintainers collect those patches, make sure they're good or not, verify them, test them. And if they're good enough, then they'll send them up to Linus. Okay. So that puts me kind of right below Linus and Andrew. Cool. So and then I, there's also oh sorry there's also a stable kernel and I'm one of the maintainers of that. Okay, so there's a stable kernel and a, a not stable kernel. There's the <laughs> development version, right? So like Linus is always working on the in development version, and you're actually one of the maintainers of the actual stable, like even numbered release code versions. No, we've changed from the past three years. We changed from doing the even to odd number for the second numbers. Well, shut um, me up. Yes, so. Here, that was back in the, that was back from four years ago, five years ago. Right now, everything's a 2.6 kernel, and we just go on that way. So when we want to release a new kernel, or to start with, Linus releases a new kernel, and for two weeks after that, all the subsystem maintainers have free reign to add as many code, much patches as they want. So they send everything to Linus, and everything goes there. And all those patches that they send to him have previously been tested out in Andrew Morton's tree. Andrew Morton is really the development manager or manager of all the development patches and all the kernels that way. And he puts out a new kernel a couple times a week with all these crazy patches. So, so his, is like the, his is like the MM tree, is that right? That's the MM tree, yes. It okay. used to stand for memory management, but now it's, it's just historical. Okay. So he collects up all the patches and tests them. So if you ever want to help test what's going to be the next real kernel, test Andrew's tree. Okay. Um, but tested on a machine, you don't care about the data. It's pretty crazy sometimes. I wanted to talk to you about the free Linux driver development offer that you put out that you had on your website. 
we'll yeah. link to that from the show notes, but maybe you could describe it for us. So we put out an offer that's just basically pretty much just marketing, letting all companies know that if they want a Linux driver written for their system, their hardware, we'll do it for free. Okay. All, so they, need, all they need to do is uh, get a hold of us, um, give us a device or two maybe. Some companies don't even need to do that, and the specifications on how to talk to the device. We will write it, we will maintain it, put it in the main kernel tree, and support it. Okay, so who would, so are they the developers at the, at the developer level below the maintainers that would do that, or yeah. are we after like new people to do that kind of stuff as well? Yes, so I, actually I did a little bit of the work. So we have over 80 developers signed up to help with this. Wow, that's really cool. Now when you yeah. do this kind of offer out there, Greg, we know that there's a lot of hardware vendors that just don't get on board the Linux thing, that have been resistant for whatever reason. So is this in order to counteract that so that we get more hardware supported? Is that what the whole goal of this is? Um, it's more of just a codification of what we have always been doing, but just letting people know here's how you do it for companies that don't realize it. But we also now offer the ability that if you want to require the developers to sign an NDA because you don't want to give out the, your specifications, we can do that now. We have the legal structure in place to handle NDAs. Well, that's pretty cool. So, um, so far, uh, only one company has taken us up on that, and we have about 20, let's see, 15, we have about 18 other companies already with drivers being written for them. Any good and names one, in that list? I'm not going to announce the ones that aren't are currently being written. I'll let those companies do that. But it's a lot of a lot of vertical market stuff, a lot of data acquisition devices, things like that. Some strange other strange hardware in places, some embedded stuff. And we're talking to at least one major OEM about getting support for all their devices, which would be really good. Wow, that's cool. Sweet. So, are you thinking then that with that many taking up on it, that it's fairly successful since your blog post on it? Yeah. Hey, it's gotten at least one driver in the tree already. I think I count that as a success. Awesome. There. So if you if you are like, you know, say a uni student, oh, hang on, I need to say that in American terms, don't I? University, no, what is it? College student. If you're a college <laughs> student and you'd like to look to start learning to develop, how would you go about that? Say if there was some piece of hardware that you sat there and you thought, you know what, I'd like to look at writing a device driver for that, which would be the best way to go about it? Would they contact you or... Do they contact the hardware manufacturer directly and, and get the specifications and a contact there, or is there a right way to think about starting to do that? Um, we're basically trying to focus on the companies themselves working with us, and then we because we have so many developers that have been offering to help us out. So oh, wow. we need okay. the, we need the specifications from the hardware companies. We're not going to do reverse engineering. If you just have the piece of hardware and you don't know how to write the driver for it, you can do it using reverse engineering and such. But um. We have enough other work to do that we don't need to do reverse engineering right now. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, it's it's never really smiled upon anyway by hardware vendors and things to reverse engineer or, or software vendors. So it's probably better that way. And you, you're, it also is very time consuming, right? Yes, it is very time consuming. Sometimes you don't get it right. Sometimes you do. I mean, we have a lot of drivers in the kernel today that are were created that way. But just we're just trying to focus on the ones where the companies are wanting to get the support. And we can work with them better. So also a little bit showing some companies on how the process works. And that's helped out a lot too. So, you know, just getting back to what I was saying before, if, if you wanted to, to start contributing to the community and you were thinking that you wanted to, to look at writing a Linux driver, um, I know when you came and gave us a training here in Provo that you we did a really cool tutorial on writing a driver for a USB thermometer. 
and that you have that tutorial available off your website. Would you recommend that you know people perhaps look at that? Yeah, that's a good start. There's a really good book, the Linux Device Driver book from O'Reilly that's free online that covers all the different types of drivers. Is that right the same now. one as your book, the Linux Kernel in a Nutshell one? No, that's a different book. So Linux Device Driver book, I actually was also one of the co-authors. Oh, okay, but, um, yeah, sorry. It's, um, it's, it goes over, it's how to program in the kernel and do that. But if you're really starting, you want to get involved, there's some really good resources. Um, there's a how-to document in the kernel, in the documentation how-to. I really recommend starting with that. It has links to everything okay. you ever wanted to know. And um, what kind of, what kind of uh, experience do you actually have to have to start doing drivers? Is it pretty much just straight C that everything's written in? Everything in the kernel is written in C. Um, yeah, so you just need C programming experience. After that, to start with the, that how-to, um, there's some really good websites called Kernel Newbies. That's a really good uh, wiki, and it has lots of information and a good mailing list. It's a lot not as harsh as the Linux kernel mailing list can be. So we'll link to that from the show then. Sure, and then there's also, if you don't, I mean, writing a driver is a pretty big first step. There's a really good project called Kernel Janitors, and that's linked off the Kernel Newbies site. And um, that has, there's just a big table of, here's all the things that need to be cleaned up in the kernel. And you pick, pick a task and you create a patch and you learn how to make a patch, how to send it your, through your email client, how to fix your email client, and then you see it get accepted in the tree. And it's a good way to learn how the process works. Oh, that's really walk, cool. Gets you walk through it pretty easily. And then, um, and then you can move up to writing a, writing a whole new driver from scratch is a big, a big thing. But cleaning up existing drivers, there's a lot of, lot of need there. So that's just like uh, getting into things like there's a little defect here or there's some code like slop where it could be optimized a little better. Is that the kind of patches you're talking about? Yeah, clean up some formatting. Uh, basically like, oh, this API isn't really the recommended one. You should fix it up and use these instead. So just go through the tree and clean them up. So I guess if you were to do that, then you'd get a better idea of the coding style as well that you should be coding for going forward. Yeah, there is the coding. We have a document on what our coding style is. Um, it's in the tree. Uh, again, it's linked off the how-to document. It's not the fact that the coding style we have is perfect, but that it's consistent. Uh, your brain has patterns, and once you learn those patterns, it works out really well. So you need to be consistent. So follow our coding style, but um, yeah, so you learn how. But you also see parts of the kernel that you might be more interested in. I know people that have started in the Janitor's Project and gone on to maintain subsystems because they realized nobody else was touching them, and they could clean them up and work on it. So. Cool. It's a really good place to start. I really recommend that. There was an interesting question that I thought somebody posted on your blog site that was like, um, you're putting people who do this kind of development for living out of a job. Stop that. <laughs> How do you respond um, all, to something like that? All the people that do do this for a living for a job, we're thankful. Um, they know. So what we do is we do it for free. We don't do it on a deadline. Um, we can't be called up on the phone and say, you need to fix this bug right now which for a lot of companies is fine, and they don't need it, that kind of support. But for the companies that do want to have somebody do it for real, you call one of those consulting companies. And I know a lot of people that do that, and they make a good living, and they're very happy because they'll see the Linux community grow. They want Linux to continue to succeed and support more hardware and to do well, and they realize that it needs a good ecosystem that way. So they're real happy. I don't have anybody complaining that actually does this for a living complaining about this at all. Yeah, it was just kind of an interesting comment that was on your website. So, Yeah, I wonder what that person – I guess that person must be like just hoping that no one will ever come along and actually make Linux better or something. They want they want to hold that one to themselves. I, I don't know. I got a, a lot of very strange comments based on that. 
response at times. Oh, all the you did? BSDs, all the BSDs guys got mad at me for some reason. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Well, do you, any insight into that? The open BSD people do not like signing NDAs, and that's their rule, which is fine. I have no problem with that. They got mad when I say that the people in the Linux community will, which I found a little bit odd in that BSD is all about doing whatever you want to do. That's their motto, which is fine. But so they were trying to tell us how to run our project when we weren't telling them how to run their project. So I found it a little bit hypocritical there, but hey, a little bit of argument. (laughs) Ooh, good. Some dynamic tension there. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So, Greg, if you would, as a concluding item here, let's give you a chance to talk about your book a little bit. Have no shame here, shill. Um, I have a new book out from O'Reilly called Linux Kernel in a Nutshell. It's all about if you want to build your own kernel, um, how to do it, how to customize it, how to figure out what kind of hardware you have in your machine to do that, to tweak it. You don't need programming experience to do it. Um, it's all just on how to build it and install it and run it. So if you're interested in customizing your machine... That's the place to start. You don't even have to buy it. It's free online if you don't want to buy it. Um, just Google for it. You can find it. And it's Linux kernel in a nutshell from O'Reilly. And um, thanks. But if people did want to buy it, where would you uh, suggest them to go? Uh, their local bookstore or Amazon or any bookseller has it. Um, it's pretty much everywhere right now. There you go. Because, I mean, after people hear this show, they're going to think Greg Crow Hartman's this lovable guy and we want to help support him, I bet. And so... Might as well give them that path as well. But that's really cool that you have it out there for free as well. So it's uh, like Creative Commons or what? Yes, it is. It's under a Creative Commons license, and it's free for, oh, I have to look it up, share, non-commercial share alike, so you can reproduce it, print it out yourself. Um, you just can't, I think it's you just can't make money off of it. Okay. So it's also included in the copy of the Linux driver development kit. Okay, well, that sounds really great, Greg. So we'd like to thank you for for coming on our show today and having a chat with us about the the free Linux driver development and and how the the architecture um, fits together with the kernel developers and maintainers. And we'd like to wish you all the best, and we hope that we can have you back on the show sometime in the future. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. That was great listening to Greg, but now it's time for news from support. All right, let's see what Randy and Dave have to say. And now it's time for Ask Randy and Dave. Dave, how's it going? Very good, Aaron. It's good to see you. How are you? Good, Randy. How you doing? Well, thank you. Well, Dave, what do you have for us today? I got three little tits. There hasn't been a lot uh, since I, I last looked, so three little interesting ones. And uh, changing the virtual server name fails to save the new name when cluster enabling an existing pool. No one knows that what that means, but the solution to it is to install the latest version of iManager. Can you repeat that again? Because I think I would actually understand it. Just say what it was again. Okay, changing the virtual server name fails to save the new name when cluster enabling enabling an existing pool. Oh, yeah. okay. It's a clustering that thing. Makes, yeah, it's I an NCS thing on Linux. That's an iManager bug? That's right, and it's fixed in uh, iManager 2.7. Oh, okay. So first off, when you refer to virtual machines, you're talking about XEN? No, virtual server name. When a cluster server exists, it has to have multiple names so that the pools themselves can migrate between volumes, uh, between hosts. So in order that the volume always has a unique name, it has its own NCP server name. 
And that's the virtual server name we're talking about there. Okay. And so what's the proper way to fix it? I had to install iManager version 2.7, and it contains the, uh, uh, the fix for it. That's actually going to be released as part of Open Enterprise Server version 2, OES 2. Cool. What else you got? Users do not have rights to their files after the user has changed containers. So what happens is the user's moved from one container in e-directory to another container. And the problem is that the cache on the server still had the data for the user in the old container. This is NSS cache. And there's a few NSS configuration uh, features, a few NSS commands that you can use to fix it. I'm not going to give them here. I'll give you a link to the TID because uh, I don't think they'd, be, they'd, they'd make a lot of sense to give three commands and hope that you can write them down while you're driving along listening to the podcast. So does it flush the cache, those commands? Yeah, it uh, flushes the cache and causes it to be reloaded, and as it does, that change uh, becomes known. So a question for you. Mm-hmm. So if you, move, if you move a user, do you have to follow that and go through that and do that each time, or is there a code update that will actually resolve that issue? You know, that's, that's a really interesting question. From what I can tell, any time you, you move a user, this will happen. So if you've got a major job of, of moving users that you need to do, move all the users and then run these three commands. Uh, in fact, I think we'd have to say that that's a major problem that uh, okay, we I might think want that needs to, to be looked see at. that engineering has to look at. Yeah. But when you run those commands, it just flushes the cache. It doesn't do anything disruptive to the current users who are attached to that drive, right? That is correct. Cool. Yes. And the last one is an interesting little one. It's one of those, uh, did you turn the computer on questions. Oh, it's good that you got that one, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Booting the Zen kernel on AMD Opteron Pacifica hardware results in an error message. Fatal Trap 13, that's a general protection fault. Uh, so in other words, it's trying to enable the uh, Pacifica extensions, the virtualization extensions on the processor, and they don't work. The workaround is to enable virtualizing, um, virtualization support in the BIOS. In other words, you had virtualization <laughs> turned off, and virtualization didn't work when you booted the OS. So actually, you know what? Um, I got to defend the person who called this in because mm-hmm. I've done the exact same thing, and I know <laughs> for a fact that Ted has too. Uh-huh. Um, if you've got one of those new, either the Pacifica chipset or the VT chipset from Intel, they that instruction set defaults to off. So you get this brand new smoking machine. First thing you want to do is install XEN virtualization, and like you said, you can't take advantage of uh, that chipset because it defaults to off. Yeah. Well, don't you go and play through the BIOS first? That's the first thing I do with a machine. I go and have a look and see what's there and change what I want to be what I want it to be. You are such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Randy, what you got for us? Well, I just wanted to give an update on an Ask Randy and Dave question that we got via email. It's uh, from a, a fellow countryman of, of Katie here, Andrew Mason from Australia. Where is he from? Australia. Oh, sorry. Australia. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I, I should have been a bit clearer about that. You know, is he from Sydney or Melbourne, or does it say? I have no signature We're to all the same, same, for sure. We're not all the same. <laughs> anyway, uh, Andrew's question was regarding SLED. He had installed SLED on a little bit of some, some older machines, um, basically the equivalent of a P3 with 512 mega RAM and an old PATA you know, 133 hard drive. And he noticed that when he turned the box on, that it came up and it looked beautiful. Everything was loaded. Everything worked fine until he went to log in 
And then he noticed that the hard drive light just kept going blink, 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 and it looked like it was thrashing the disk. So, of course, first thing he looks at is swap. Sure. Turns off swap. It wasn't really being used anyway. He turns off swap. Still happened. He went in and and started looking at things like Beagle. Okay, that would yeah. be kind of the next thing that you would look sure. at. So he turned Beagle off anyway, but then noticed that the problem still still happened. So he sent the question to us looking for some potential tools or utilities to use to troubleshoot the problem. And so Dave and I got together and we chatted over some of the things to, to look at and some of the utilities that you could use. And there are ones basically that we've mentioned before on the show, but this is a good real-world example of how to apply them. The two in particular that we talked about were IOSTAT and SAR, and they're both part of the SysStat package that uh, they can be used to look at exactly that, IO statistics, as well as not sort of a general health check. SAR will, will take trending snapshots of the system for both memory, for IO, for CPU utilization, kind of like a, almost like a, a top on steroids in batch oh, cool. mode. Okay. Yeah, it's like, there's do. a lot of options for SAR, isn't there? There's yeah. like an absolute truckload of them. Yeah, and it'll create this nice database of that information that then you can send, for example, to support. You can send that, that entire database, and then we can query it for these various pieces that we're looking for. So after suggesting that to him and taking a look at some of the other issues that he was looking at, it ended up being an X issue that oh. as of yet is still undetermined what's causing it. But X was basically taking all of the utilization on the I.O. So in order to get those applications, is it a special package I need to install, or does it install by default? It's it's not installed by default, but it is included with the distribution, both for SLED and SLES. And again, it's the SysStat package. Yeah. Now, now, one additional thing that I want to bring up that you mentioned when troubleshooting, one of the first things that people notice a lot of times is that Beagle's chewing on a lot of resources, both memory and processor. That's because, you know, Beagle, our search engine, is going out and doing indexing whenever it sees, quote unquote, idle time. Uh, that's actually one of the cool things that's in SP1. We'll talk about this more when we do an episode dedicated to SP1, but they've totally addressed that issue in SP1. And now Beagle's aware of things like like uh, whether or not you're, if you're on a laptop, if you're currently plugged in to wall uh, power. And if you don't have AC power coming in, um, it won't go ahead and do the heavy index to eat all your wow. power available. And there's all sorts of neat stuff. But again, we'll get into that when we do a dedicated episode for SP1. Awesome. So I hope we'll we'll send a, a shirt out to our friend Andrew. Absolutely. I reckon Australia. I need to go home and I'll bring him You want to take it to him? Yeah. I Maybe that personally like deliver that? Often. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks a lot for swinging by the studio. Oh, we've got more. Oh, we do? Yeah, we've got a bug, Dave. He's going on a little trip across the water. Oh, Dave, oh, yeah. where are you going? I'm heading off to Europe for a couple of weeks, uh, flying out on May 5th to Prague uh, in the Czech Republic, and I will be taking some kernel developer training and... I don't think it takes me to the point where I could call myself a kernel developer, but it's a place to get a start and uh, meet some people that should uh, help me progress that. Is this going to be your first time in Europe? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, but no. Uh, it's my first time in the Czech Republic, though. 
that's for a week, and then the week after that, I'm going to be uh, in our Nuremberg office where all the SUSE developers are, pretty much. So that's going to be a fun little trip. I'll bring back some uh, information, hopefully. Chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah, okay. Thanks for the order, Randy. Uh, and Pilsner <laughs> or Quail, if you're going to the Czech Republic. <laughs> I'll keep it in mind. Send me an email. So you're going to go hang out with the Sousa Labs guys then, I assume? That's who I work for now, actually. Oh, uh, that'll be a My blast. manager's in the Czech, Czech Republic. My team lead is in Germany, and I'm in Provo in the U.S. Uh, it's kind of an interesting combination. So we do a lot of work via IRC uh, because we can't talk to each other directly. We do a lot of things. There's um, a language thing there too, right? They have trouble understanding you, don't they, Dave? It, that's an accent thing rather than a language thing. It's the Americans that don't speak English. <laughs> we have trouble understanding it too, Kate. <laughs> well, since you're going to go over and you're going to hang out with all these Sousa Labs people, we should go ahead and give you one of the mobile recorders, and maybe you can record some cool content for us. That'd be great. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Cool. Well, hey, guys, thanks again for swinging by the studio, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Take Bye. care. <laughs> Well, that's all of the content for this show. Ted, this is your last opportunity. You need to break into the announcer voice and give us one last wrap-up. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by your friends at Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. All of our content is pretty much guided to us in some way or another by our listening communities, demands, suggestions, comments, and other things. And if you want to leave a comment for us on this episode or any other episode, go to novell.com forward slash open audio and leave us a comment on this episode or rate this episode or interact with us any other way. Um, there's also open audio at novell.com where we receive your email. Well, Aaron now receives your email. That's pretty much it for this time. I want to say thanks to all of our listeners who uh, were interacting with me over the uh, past year and a half or so that we've done this. I guess it's not even quite a year and a half, is it? Uh, it's just been a year, it's barely. It's been a year, <laughs> I know. And I'm already, you guys are already throwing me out. Yep. So thanks, everybody, on that. We'll see you next time.